Welcome to Cultivating Curiosity, where two extension agents with UFIFIS Extension explore the world of horticulture and quench yours and our thirst for knowledge. My name is Alyssa Vincent. And I'm Taylor Clem. Join us each month as we delve into fascinating topics in the world of plants and cultivate our curiosity. Hi, Taylor. Hey, Alyssa, how you doing? I'm great. I'm excited today because we're going to talk about one of my absolute favorite topics. What's that? Trees. All right. Oh, yeah. Trees. I love trees. You know, thinking about like in the urban landscape, you know, the natural areas and also just the value that they play in our environment. Absolutely. Trees have such an important role too in culture and literature you know they they really give us a way to kind of think about our our lives and like the our lifespan right because you know Mm -hmm. isn't that famous saying you know plant a plant a tree that you'll never sit under right Mm -hmm. you know yeah recognizing that trees have this longevity that humans humans don't and um and yeah the benefits that they provide their beauty gosh you know nothing's better than looking up through the branches of a tree on like a sunny day. Um, yeah, planting yeah. a tree is like a truest form of altruism. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's like, yeah, like what you mentioned, it's like you don't plant it for you, but you plant it, like they say, you plant mm-hmm. it for the future generations. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think that, you know, they provide such a an integral role when we talk about landscapes and, you know, from your background with landscape architecture, trees have so many interesting structures and forms and colors. Mm-hmm. Um, they they really can add um, beauty as well as function to a landscape. Absolutely. And I think, you know, when we talk about that beauty and the function of the landscape, it's like we can think about, you know, we don't always want to think about just what a tree is. You know, a tree isn't, a tree is a tree. It's unique to itself, but it's also part of something larger. You know, a network of trees, understanding how they fit together in their own environment, in their own ecosystem, that relationship that they have with the other trees around them, the shrubs, the wildlife, and as well as the humans, us in that urban environment, especially so in Florida. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, there's all kinds of really interesting research out there, you know, looking into how trees impact humans and You know, the benefits really go beyond even just, you know, what you would think of like, oh, they produce oxygen, you know, um, but but they also regulate temperatures in urban areas. They hold on to stormwater. They um, they also have socioeconomic benefits. Oh, you know, absolutely. There's, there's so much uh, that trees give us and and all they really ask for in return is that we take care of them well. Absolutely. Yeah. And one of some of the big conversations that we have statewide really have to do with the term urban forestry or urban mm-hmm. canopies. And I think part of that conversation we're going to have today is going to be really cool. Yes, I agree. And I'm excited to talk to Dr. Andrew Kozer. Uh, you know, he is uh, someone that I get to work with quite often in extension. And, um, and so I think he'll be able to give us some good insights into this topic. Yeah, and uh, Dr. Kozer, his focus really is on like sustainable landscape management, um, but really looking at the trees and the urban canopy and understanding how does this, how does this network or this system of these urban forestry, this urban forestry, these urban canopies exist within these urban and urbanizing areas across the state. So I'm really excited to have this conversation with him to learn more about it. 
Yeah, me too. Let's get to it. Awesome. Well, uh, we have with us today Dr. Andrew Kozer, who is coming to us from um, University of Florida. And you can give us more of your accolades, Andrew, when you do a little introduction. Um, but I know you through um, working kind of in the urban forestry realm. And um, I've, I've had the pleasure now of, of working with you for a couple of years on some, some other fun little projects. And so I'm really excited to talk to you today about trees and trees in our urban environment. Environments, um, and so you know. First off, just kind of tell us a little bit about you. Who are you? Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Andrew Kozer, as you know. Uh, I am originally from Wisconsin, and I my love for trees kind of came from my childhood. Uh, there was a state park in my hometown that was really close by, and we would do everything in all the seasons, like cross country skiing, hiking you know, restoration projects with the local environmental groups and stuff like that. So I spent a lot of time in the woods with my, my father, mostly at a young age. And I just grew to love nature because of that. It's mostly his influence, I have to say. Um, but, you know, thinking about a career, one of the things that really uh, was influential on me was there was a nonprofit in the state called Trees for Tomorrow. And they did job shadowing for high schoolers where they would just send people, you know, to this camp. And then they put us up with I got to go with a wildlife officer and a, and a forester for like a couple of days and see what their job was like. And it was, it was amazing. You know, like I wouldn't have thought of it as a career before that. And, and that was the point. Right. Uh, and so I went to school at Stevens point for forestry. It's a regional college in the state. And then um, got an internship at the international society of arboriculture uh, headquarters in Champaign, Illinois. Uh, I really liked it there. And, found out that there was a school called the University of Illinois, you know, in Champaign that I, I could go to, went there for my master's. My geography was limited to Wisconsin before that. And I uh, went there for my PhD, my master's, while I worked at ISA for five years as an intern, all the way up to like their science and research manager, managing the conference programming and their journals. Uh, when I graduated with my PhD, I was willing to go anywhere. And I applied Canada, you know, across the you know United States, and um, Florida picked me up. They made a mistake, and <laughs> I'm holding them to it. <laughs> and I, I, I love the job. I work at a research center in the Tampa Bay area, uh, and it's just such an efficient and I don't know, just a great work environment. You know, we're like right there in the Tampa Bay area. It's one of the hot spots for urban forestry and agriculture in the state because a lot of the you know, municipalities in the area. And just being that connected to the industry is amazing. And I think that's where Extension and the Rex really have, I don't know, IFAS's best interests in their hearts. So uh, we need to just recognize the amazing resource the state has. Absolutely. And you've been with UF because I remember when you started, I was in grad school at the time, and you've been with UF now for what, eight years? 11. Nine years? 11 years? Yeah. Well, I was off on my math. I remember. (laughs) Yeah. No, and it's only going to go faster as you get older. Like, you know, more gray hair you have like me. So I want to ask you a question. So, um, you know, having you you in Florida has been actually very valuable because I think so many discussions that we have statewide really relate to the urban forest. And sometimes we don't really necessarily understand 
what is the urban forest and why is it valuable? You know, I can understand it's like urban forest. Think of this might be this collection of trees that we may have in these urban spaces, but it's way more nuanced than that. What is an urban forest? Yeah, I guess at the most basic level, like you said, the urban forest is the you know accumulation of trees and shrubs and ground covers, that whole that whole system that's you know embedded in the urban environment, right? Uh, and you know that. But it can, it can, you know, there's, you know, kind of transitions to, you know, suburbs and exurban areas and the actual remnant forest in Florida. So it's kind of a continuation. Um, to me, the urban forest is the most important forest to the, to the public, right? You know, there are so many people that will never get to Yosemite or to like, you know, one of the national forest preserves in the state because they just don't have the means to leave the city. So their closest connection to nature is the urban forest and the trees in their neighborhood and community. So we, you know, we have this kind of myth that, you know, wilderness and nature has to be untouched by humans, but there's really none of that. And there never was in, in this country. There was always a human touch on our, our wilderness and our wildlife areas. So um, I think it's important to just really value what we have in our communities, even if it doesn't seem as nature is people envision in their own minds, you know? Yeah. And, you know, when I think about that, you make a really good point about kind of access and, and, you know, who should be in our green spaces and how we, how we approach making sure that, that people have that relationship um, with nature, with the green space around them. Um you know, it, it's definitely an interesting question, especially in our urban areas. Uh, but how how would you describe some of the other kind of ancillary benefits that urban forests provide? Yeah, I mean, you know, the big one in the state, if, especially if you made it through the summer, was shade. You know, like <laughs> I, I have pictures of like a, a, a new development in, in the Tampa area and it has astroturf and like tons of seeding and, you know, like you know, all these outside games and stuff. And it's completely empty because there's no tree there, right? Yeah. You know, you, and you kept walking down the river walk a little bit further and you found like a, an older park that had trees and every single bench was full, you know? Yep. That is, I mean, I, you know, people often say that, you know, we just don't have the space for the trees, but an outdoor space in Florida that doesn't have a tree is wasted, you know, for a good mm -hmm. part of the year. So that that's a huge one. And we did a survey of Floridians to see what they valued. And, you know, nature was another one, like wildlife. So if you go in my park, which is right across from my condo, uh, in the heart of St. Pete, in um, one of the densest, you know, developed counties in the state, there are otters in there. There's an eagle. There are osprey when the eagle's not around, <laughs> you know, everything. <laughs> and, it's, and it's just amazing to see that water helps too. So like there's a water corridor along with the trees, but it all works together. And just like the fact that the park's not quick enough to remove the deadwood, there's so many woodpeckers and things in there too. So it's just like uh, you can really get a nice, like a lot of water, wildlife if you leave these, you know, groups of trees in the city or you um, lean into your park systems or if people just, you know, let the trees, native trees grow in their own yard too. So it's like this entire ecosystem on, among itself or in itself, you know, within these urban areas where you're letting this, you know, you have this habitat as part of this urban forest that attracts all this wildlife, these different pollinators. So you're, 
it's this environmental benefit that you're providing when we talk about, you know, like the genetics of wildlife and making sure we're mm-hmm. trying to minimize wildlife or habitat fragmentation. And these urban forests have a way to help counteract some of that fragmentation compared to those areas where it's been completely eliminated. Yeah. Like it, in the neighborhood would... you'd mentioned. Yeah, and we like calculate a bunch of other benefits too, you know, like um, carbon sequestration, right, for overall global warming, com- combating that, you know, um, you know, stormwater mitigation, like trees allow stormwater to like soak into the ground below them because they slow it down, mm-hmm. you know, things like that. And, you know, those, we can put a real number to those and, and show cities the value of those services. But the things that really resonate with the public are the shade, the wildlife, and the beauty. And I think that. Mm-hmm. People like beauty just doesn't get a lot of respect, but people want to live in a beautiful space, you know, and it, it, it gives them pride in their community. It, it's it draws people to these outdoor settings where they can socialize and we need to give beauty more respect. So. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, when we talk about that landscape beauty, that's that could be kind of like a subjective term. You know, what is considered beautiful, you know, to the eye of the beholder. And that can sometimes create conflict in itself. But um, with some of the research that you've done with like understanding the preferences and perceptions of these urban spaces or urban forests or trees, have you noticed any of those trends that kind of transcend the beauty is like we've noticed that this is like a high preference uh, landscape or urban type of area that people tend to gravitate towards? Yeah. Um, you know, you know, in our survey that we did of, we did like a survey of Florida residents and I, I don't think we captured beauty so much as like a stocking density or a canopy cover mm. and more was better people. I mean, <laughs> even, even when they had like, they said they had like 70 or 90% canopy coverage, which could happen in a really dense area. Mm. No one's like, we want less trees, you know, <laughs> like they, just keep filling it up, you know? Um, so I, I, you know, and that, that goes against kind of the norms of design, you know, I think people have said that we prefer like a Savannah kind of stocking and, you know, mm. there's all sorts of like anthropology kind of <laughs> connotations to that and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, uh, the, the, the kind of the things that we showed people really just love the trees. So, I mean, and, and beauty was a big part of that driving factor. So I didn't go anything specifically though. Yeah, it's so interesting too because in my in my interactions with folks especially in in newer developments one of the one of the challenges that I'm running up against is this prevalence for um not shade trees for palm trees mm-hmm. right so the the idea that we can um you know remove a large area of of shade trees install a bunch of houses put in kind of our, our standard landscapes that have six or seven plant species and then put, you know, two palms in the front yard. Um, and you know, what you were talking about with, with heat, you know, I've been in some of these new developments where they're, they just have palm trees in the front yard and they're hot, they're dang hot. (laughs) Um, so, you know, understanding that, you know, based on your research, people's prevalent, like, preference is shade trees why do you think there's that discrepancy uh well we also look at things called the services when we when we survey the public you know so when i think pete there's a real fear in florida of trees and storms right mm-hmm. and and that was it, it it was the top thing listed several times we had them like just write out 
you know, in an open kind of response, what they didn't like about trees. And it was like trees falling in the house, hurricanes, trees dropping branches during storms. And, and there's real fear there. And I think palms don't have that same kind of fear. And then there's also things that people love about palms. I love palms myself. You know, uh, Mm -hmm. I love the tropical look coming from Wisconsin. You know, I'm still a tourist at heart, even though I've been here 11 years. So I do, I do appreciate them. Um, and, and a lot of the state has moved from other areas and they want that kind of Florida experience. Right. So, mm-hmm. and, and they palms also in some of these compact developments, they're not going to lift up sidewalks and do the other things that the Oaks and stuff are doing, you mm-hmm. know, because we did, mm-hmm. they just don't have the space that they need, you know? So, right. um, but then you're sacrificing the shade. Like you said, if, if, if you do a palm or you do a smaller stature tree to avoid conflicts with built infrastructure, which is another disservice people hate. I have to say that, you know, with what Alyssa mentioned, one of the things that always seems like bother me in some development where you bring in palm trees, like say like a typical, you know, Florida development nowadays, um, where they could be like 4,000, 4,500 square foot lots, like small lots. And then they put in palms, you know, cabbage palms are fine. You know, they're great. Uh, I always love seeing like the Washington, Washingtonian palms because all of a sudden like they don't, I feel like they don't match the scale of the community. <laughs> so it just looks like telephone poles, you know, because they're like, oh yeah, the palm tree, you know, they can get 70 to 100 feet tall or yeah. something like that at their max. I just don't think that the, the scale is appropriate to those. And I always find that very entertaining. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, my favorite thing is um, there's like developments where it's like Cypress Mill you know, because it used to be in a cypress swamp. They saw that on the map. And then it has palms right by the sign. It's like, yeah. Or, yeah. or you know, like <laughs> it's kind of like a tombstone for maybe a cypress there, tree. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've definitely seen one where it was like oak ramble and there's like not a single oak in, in the entire development. Yeah. <laughs> plant blindness at its best. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We, in, in our last podcast, we talked a lot about plant blindness. Um, yeah. And, and that, I really think that is a challenge for trees too. I, you know, I think that we recognize maybe the 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 beauty, um, but I don't know how often we take the time to stop and appreciate, like even just like looking up at the canopy of a tree. I there there are some live oaks, some some older live oaks in in my community. I can I can look up and they're just draped with Spanish moss, and it's like chandeliers when the sunlight comes through they're incredibly beautiful and and i look around me and everybody's doing this you know they're like looking, mm-hmm. looking at their like, you know look looking at their screen yeah yeah looking at their screen and doesn't uh don't take the time to kind of look up and appreciate that um well that, that kind of leads into a question we're going to ask a little bit later um but i think i so thinking about some of these challenges that we have in florida i mean rapid development is absolutely one of them uh, my County. Pinellas doesn't have that quite as much because y'all are already built out. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but you know, in, in uh, my county, in Manatee County, and I know in Nassau County where Taylor's at, you know, development is a, is a huge um, challenge for us. And, and we see a lot of uh, landscape issues kind of coming to the front as a result of that. But what do you think are, are some of the, you know, most pressing questions um, or challenges for kind of urban forests, trees in the built environment in Florida? Yeah. So, I mean, I think development's huge, right? Um, this state loses more urban trees than any other state in the United States. Uh, urban trees, trees that are already in urban areas through development and redevelopment. 
and not probably surprisingly, it's second only to Texas for impervious surface additions annually, right? So development's driving that. um, And, and you know, anyone who's lived here their whole life, like I had a, a department member who graduated from Clearwater High School. He retired maybe two years ago. And the state had 3 million people, right, when he was in high school. And now there's 21, 22 million people. So, I mean, it's just tremendous growth. And if we keep going, you know, at the rate we are and not changing how we develop, the entire peninsula is going to be one big urban forest with little remnants of natural areas as islands in it. So, Mm -hmm. um, and and, and so that's a challenge and opportunity. If you like urban forest, you're going to have a lot of urban forest, right? But that urban forest is also going to be different than the one that we've inherited. So we have these big oaks, we have, you know, any given city in central Florida, just because of the tension zone we have here with our temperature extremes from real cold to real hot is dominated by like our live oaks and laurel oaks and things like that. And when they were planted, we had a vastly different kind of style of development than we have now. Smaller, you know, two bedroom, one bedroom houses or one bathroom houses and bigger lots and the space they needed, you know, and as as we redevelop these areas, you know, and densify them, you know, and cut down that tree, I just don't know how you're going to get that canopy back. You know, like, um, you know, those, those trees had to survive a lot to get big, you know, and, and, and the, the co- potential conflicts that will justify removal in the mind of a homeowner are only going to be more and more as we put big growing trees in small lots. Right. Mm-hmm. Once it starts lifting the sidewalk or getting the curb or, you know, getting into a sewer pipe, you know, all these things just aggravate people. And, and a lot of people see that as a justification for removal, you know. Yeah. And the I mean, plant selection has so much to do with that, too, even with some of the, like new development um, in some situations where it's like a small lot and they're planting, you know, magnolias or live oaks, you know, feet from house. It's like mm-hmm. that's that's not that's not a sustainable decision um, that it, it, it satisfies code requirements, but it's not going to help with the longevity of that that tree. Yeah. So I think we need to find ways to incentivize better selections like a slower growing tree is what you need in the urban environment. Like and, and they cost more produce and they're not rewarded, but finding ways to incentivize their use Um you know, at least in you know cities, I think they can just spec them or like do contract growing to get them into the landscape. Um, I don't think mm-hmm. developers are gonna ever care, you know, unless unless they're made to somehow. Um, yeah. But you know, so that we have things like, I mean, th- this is not native, but like a podocarpus. Do you ever see that in a mature form? And it's still so slow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it, it looks amazing, um, and it's not gonna churn up your infrastructure nearly as fast as other things, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Taylor and I were talking a little bit before this about, you know, we we come into the built environment and we we think that we're kind of, you know, building in a bubble essentially, right? Like this this I have to start from scratch with my environment here. Let me create a new, um, you know, new set of plants, new new aesthetic, um, and and that there may need to be kind of a shift in perspective in recognizing that that no, I'm not. I'm not creating something in a vacuum. What I'm doing is I'm trying to embed uh, a human environment inside of a larger 
ecosystem, right? Because because we are inside of this of this bigger ecosystem, and then we come in in these little pieces, and we you know we cut out these these little niches for ourselves. Um, so you know, what is kind of the is there a way to integrate easier? you know, that urban forest into the mosaic of maybe plant species that we find in, in natural areas. Well, I, I agree that if we can preserve trees on the site, that's a huge leg up because, you know, you know, you have a big tree on a site. There were millions of acorns that didn't make it. There's hundreds of there's hundreds of thousands of seedlings that didn't get, you know, off the ground because of mowing or grazing or fire or whatever. You know, saplings, a bunch of those didn't, you know, thousands of those didn't make it. And then you get this big tree that like won the lottery and it made it. And it and we should celebrate that because it's it's a rarity in in its population. Right. And, and it, you know, we can plant a bunch of smaller trees to, you know, redo a site that we've cleared wholesale and we're going to lose a bunch. You know, uh, maybe we'll get through the first two years for that warranty period for the landscaping. But. You know, if, if, until they get to a protected size, like there's all these reasons you can cut down a tree. You know, it's in the wrong space. Right. Space. Um, my neighbors smoked it with the, you know, their car. Uh, the weed whacker just keeps biting into it. Like all these things that can take out a tree mm-hmm. in an urban environment. And and so once they get to that big size, holding on to them is key, I think. But it's hard mm-hmm. because I mean, if you live anywhere on the coast and you're trying to develop, uh, you're adding like. Feet of fill, like you. There's a development that my friends are on, 14 feet of fill. There's yeah. no way yeah. you could save any tree on that spot, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, we, we're kind of going up against like flood control and and you know, hurricane kind of um, mitigation efforts in other, you know, it's, it's one of those silo things in in government. So, mm-hmm. and I think that's one of the big conversations that I think is happening statewide. And extension agents and specialists and, you know, we're all part of that conversation. You know, we talk about what is what is that bigger value that the urban forestry or urban canopy can provide. And then part of that discussion is like, how do we codify it? How do we kind of create and incentivize this decision making that helps protect or enhance the urban forest, mm-hmm. urban canopy or the urban forest? Um, and part of that conversation that I always like to have or I talk about is like, a lot of those bigger economic, uh, sorry, those bigger environmental services that are provided um, or ecosystem services provided by having those. I mean, we talked about like the briefly about green access. We talked about help cooling down the environment. But I mean, there's just having a healthy urban forest or urban canopy within urban spaces, you know, has significant impacts on public health. Frederick Law Olmsted calls trees the lungs of the city. Trees were brought into these urban spaces because of the public health crisis associated with just pollutants, Mm -hmm. you know, that help mitigate those issues, not solve those issues. But then we also look at like those other economic impacts, like commercial areas where we're seeing these positive impacts with the economic development of commercial areas that have a tree or canopy area compared to an area that doesn't. So what are some of those other big impacts that are associated with that healthy urban forest or canopy that we see that we should be communicating more of that maybe we're not talking about as much. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure if anyone's heart's set a flutter by like carbon sequestration, honestly, <laughs> but I think human <laughs> health does connect people, right? 
Um, and, and one of the studies I just really love, um, Jeff Donovan is a, is a just an awesome analyst from Pacific Northwest. And when Emerald Ashbor moved through the Midwest, he had this perfect opportunity. It was a tragedy. That's often, but like we're in counties, we're losing big chunks of their urban forests to this noxious pest. And there were some that had gone all in, in, in on ash because it was a really you know resilient tree. This is a problem with lack of diversity. So they lost a lot of canopy. And there's some that lost less canopy. So he had this this living laboratory, laboratory would, like within the course of like a decade where it just kind of cleared through you know um, Ohio. And they could see the increases in death in, I mean, in these counties, because it was just like, you know, increased heart, you know, um, attacks and respiratory illnesses and stuff. And it was just like, you know, and they, he like put all the other control variables in there that you could think of. And it was the canopy change, you know, and, and it doesn't, you know, we can have that a hurricane or something like that where we, you know, we, and have lost but then but you know that's that's a natural disaster we are choosing to get rid of canopy in areas and, and that's what we can control is just you know when when something natural like that happens or there's an introduction you know we were faced with the cards that were dealt but we don't want to facilitate that by you know um not protecting trees not valuing them and their longevity and doubling down on just a few species, as we mentioned before, you know, so when uh, the next pest comes through one of the many ports in this state, um, we're caught flat footed, you know? Um, so I do think health is a big benefit. I'm not sure, like there's other benefits that people state, like, um, you know, property value increases. I'm not sure if that resonates with everyone, especially if you're the renter, you know, like, <laughs> like, oh, if you're great, the HOA uh, board, it works well. <laughs> yeah. 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 So you have to be really careful of that messaging, I think. Um, mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. city council might care about that because it's tax revenue, but, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and speaking of like city council and um, policy related challenges, you know, do you find that, I, I know, so in Florida, you know, we have a lot of challenges related to tree removal, um, you know, and I, I don't want to delve too much into, into the issue with, um, a recent state legislation, you know, from a couple of years ago that was passed, but, you know, are there, are there ways that you've seen communities in Florida being successful at protecting the urban canopy in that, you know, kind of preserving trees on site or in increasing planting within urban areas through, you know, strong science-based policy language? Uh, I mean, we did do a study where we looked at the, at the ordinances in the state, like a, kind of like a snapshot in time right before a state legislature, like preempted local tree protections. Mm-hmm. And we saw that this, like when you controlled for things like density and median home value and like how old the houses were, you know, because you, you can get that from the census, like when houses were built and stuff like that. When we controlled for all that stuff, the cities that had protections in place had like a 7% bump in canopy coverage. And wow. and we're talking like, and that's like a median of like 30% canopy. So like 7% mm-hmm. of 30 is a, a big chunk, right? Yeah. Because uh, no, you're not having like 100% canopy in a city, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so those laws actually did do something. You know, it didn't stem the overall loss of trees as we talked about earlier with Florida losing more urban trees in the other state. 
but the the cities that had those laws in place were losing less you know mm-hmm. and i think that's that's good information uh we now um you know i just did a, a whole like three location kind of workshop on the new tree law the new tree law that's been revised has a lot more guardrails than the first one it was kind of the wild west and, and thank goodness <laughs> yeah and, and both parties agreed like well we got to do something because this is confusing so we you know bipartisan support for the revisions um it is not as easy to just say oh tree's dangerous let's take it out you know you have mm-hmm. to like use real definitions that the industry set for tree risk um yeah uh, and, and, you know, so a lot of, you know, I think I talked to the city of Tampa, they have actually had an increase in permit requests since the law came out, you know, because people realize that it's just easier to go through the process, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so, you know, some cities gave, you know, got rid of their permit requirements and stuff like that. That was one s- solution for them. Others mm-hmm. are just, you know, they had, if you, if a city had a good working relationship with the local arborist community, and with um, the homeowners, then a lot of those just kept going business as usual, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, do, do you know like how many, I, I know you said that you did the um, study of the local ordinances before the preemption law, but do you have a sense of how many cities and municipalities just kind of said, Meh, we're not going to, we're not going to handle tree permitting anymore. Um, and, and they're not having, they have no protections. We did a survey of urban forestry programs to see what they were going to do with the new law, but it was really, it was like within the year of that first law, the first draft coming out. And a lot of people were just, I'm in a wait and see kind of holding Mm. pattern, Mm -hmm. you know? And, but it was a very small proportion that were like, no, we're just ditching it. You know, legal says it's not viable anymore, so we're not going to bother. But, you know, those were probably cities that probably weren't big on enforcement anyways, you know? Because it's one thing to have a law in the books, but if you're not enforcing it, then it's just penalizing the people that are good actors, essentially, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, but yeah, um, I don't think it was many. And, and I'm, I'm not so concerned about this law. Like it, 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 the law really helps developers and people that don't like trees get rid of trees. But, you know, when we look at like iTree data for a city, the worst trees are always on like from condition point of view are always on residential property because Hmm. people like their trees or they don't want to pay for the removal. Right. Right. So, you know, like it's twofold. And, and so people aren't in a hurry to get rid of trees normally, unless there's some other driving force, like they want the pool in the backyard or whatever, you know? So, Mm -hmm. but the Mm -hmm. vast majority of people are are very content with their trees. Hmm. Interesting. So thinking about some of these challenges, um, you know, as extension, right, Taylor Taylor and I are both agents, you work in the realm of extension as well. You know, part of our job is to communicate to our communities, some of these values and, and make, you know, kind of recommendations around either policy or management um, practices. Uh, You know, how do we how do we do that kind of effective communication when we have, you know, a variety of different audiences, a variety of different perspectives, you know, what do you see as kind of the, the best communication way forward? Uh, I mean, I think going into the community and seeing what 
you know, at the neighborhood level is, is a good way of doing it, you know, like having, you know, focus groups or key informant kind of interviews or design charades or whatever, you know, like whatever your tool is, whatever you're comfortable with and seeing like, okay, you know, this is back to the basics. Like, this is what you have, you know, what do you want and what are you willing to do to get there? You know, Mm. and they may be happy with what they have. They may want less. They want want more for trees. And and you just need to respect that. You know, there's so many examples of well-intentioned people kind of sweeping in and and putting trees out in mass in a city and then having them, you know, pulled out by the residents or, Mm -hmm. or just, you know, if there's a request like, Hey, you want a free tree? Like, no, I don't. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, for us, like, how, how can you not want a tree? You know, like, I want, all, you know, but um, yeah, there are, there are reasons, you know, people may not want the maintenance. They may be afraid of mm-hmm. storm damage. <laughs> like the, the tree is like two inches, but they already go to like, this thing's going to be huge and it's going to fall in my house. Mm-hmm. Like, well, you're, you're 70. I don't, probably don't have to worry about <laughs> um, But yeah, you know, like, you know, so like there's all these things that I think just having those communication outlets, you can assuage some of those fears. Like you can say, okay, the vast mm-hmm. majority of trees actually make it fine through a hurricane. You know, like they don't even lose a branch, right? And and the the ones you see on the Weather Channel next to that guy that's always out there on the ground, like those are in the news because they're the rare case, right? They're the, they're not the mm-hmm. norm. So, um, who is that guy anyway? What's his name? Jeff Jeff Cantor. Jim Cantor. Jim Cantor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry. And he shows up. Everyone leave. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, because I always that's part of the conversation I always try to have is you know. When, when I'm working with communities or an HOA or those decision makers, not necessarily just the homeowners, but the decision makers, I really start, I like to have that conversation where I think about what are the community's objectives and then what are their goals? So then we can figure out, it's like, okay, how can we prioritize these BMPs or these best management practices for tree maintenance or is even anything related to like green industry? Um how can we achieve your goals and show how maybe these goals of yours can be achieved through the, these different um, tactics, whether it be how do we enhance our diversity of our urban forestry or within our communities, or how can we enforce or reinforce these different strategies? Like Andrew, you mentioned earlier about, you know, the fast growing versus slow growing trees, you know, everything typically in codes is dependent off of, you know, the caliper size. So mm-hmm. why not incentivize like, okay, so maybe if you have this species, if you bring in one inch caliper, that's totally appropriate because we understand it's a slower growing tree. So I always try to think it was like, here's your objectives, but how can we meet those objectives that still meet those standards that are already set out? Or maybe how can they be updated to help achieve those different outcomes that the community may or, or may not want? Yeah, no, exactly. Right, right place. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and every time you, and the, the beauty of this is every time you, you make like a policy or an ordinance to like achieve a goal, there's those fallout effects you don't even think about that you learn about later. Like uh, local communities, like, yeah, they won't, you know, we'll give you double secret bonus points if you plant like a six or an eight inch tree, you know, um, DBH, like after, you know, for mitigation. Mm-hmm. And like, well, that's great, but the only two species you're going to get are magnolia and uh, oak, live oak. That, you know, live oak. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you've just limited like mm-hmm. double secret bonus points are only for two species that we already have too many of anyways, right? 
and mm-hmm. and it was well intentioned. It was like to, to get that instant kind of mitigation feel, get back to canopy, you know, faster hopefully. Um, but you know, smaller trees actually do better normally. That, that's um, what I was going to ask. Is like, isn't like yeah. the smaller trees you can plant them, get them established, and they'll start growing in the landscape quicker mm-hmm. than some of the larger trees that we put in. Yeah, and, yeah. If they're if they're protected, exactly. You know, yeah. you don't want to do smaller trees next to like your bar district. You know, like even no. not going to be the place <laughs> for a small tree. You know, so. <laughs> Yeah, I I think a lot too about like the resources that go into establishment. So like, you know, we'll have people uh, contact us and they're like, oh, my landscape, it's so tired. I've got all the, you know, all these shrubs and older trees. It looks so, you know, it looks so old. I want to, I want to refurbish it and they want to pull everything out and they want to start from scratch. Right. And so like, you know, when I think about a two inch caliper versus a six inch, the the amount of resources that's going to go into establishing that tree, I feel like are a lot different and, and that success rate is going to be limited. Um, so yeah, like, how, can we just get people to agree on right tree, right place? Like, I mean, I don't. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think someone said once like plant a tree or plant a stick, get a tree, plant a tree, get a stick. And you know, it's just like the maintenance requirements just go way up and not everyone's really willing to meet those, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, what, what do you want people to know about trees that they might not? Is there something that you, that you come across often, um, like some piece of knowledge or, or some fact about trees that, that you think people should know about and they don't? Uh, I think, I kind of talked about this a little earlier. It's just, we don't need to be afraid of trees, right? Like um, that was a a key disservice that came up in our, our survey. People are afraid of, I hear it all the time. You know, like we, I did a show with um, another arborist in the city, like um, flip my Florida yard or something like that, you know, and it was about hurricane safety and, and what you can do to ready your trees for the next hurricane. And the homeowner, like they had this beautiful laurel in their backyard and like they, they're like, oh, we need to get this thing removed. Someone said, you know, this thing is going to die. It's like, you know, 60 year old laurel. It's it's toast. And like, well, uh, it looks great. And the arborist with me like, yeah, this is about as good as it can be, you know. And the biggest determination of like the future of a tree is its current condition. Right. It's not mm-hmm. there's no expiration date on a tree. There are general trends. But the, with any population of anything, some will go longer, some will go shorter. And you can't just, mm-hmm. okay, this, my Laurel Oak's 50 years old. I need to get rid of it. You know, mm-hmm. um, it's time to start looking at it, you know, just like other health things that we do when we get to a certain age. Yeah. Just inspect um, it. No reason to yeah. just like put it on the ice floor and send it off. You know, it's just, so, um, yeah. And I, just don't be afraid of your trees. Like w- there are arborists out there. I mean, in the studies we do for hurricanes, the biggest, the thing that's most likely to fail and cause damage is like a dead branch, right? So if it's a, mm-hmm. if you have dead branches over something that's a, a potential um, that could be damaged, you can easily have someone just prune it out, you know, mm-hmm. and, and a lot of the other things just, you know, don't seem as pressing, honestly. Um, it's just mm-hmm. there's like, and if your tree was upright and it's leaning at a 45 degree angle, that tree is moving. Normally, they don't do that outside of Lord, Lord of the Rings. So, <laughs> but most of the time, trees are going to make it fine. And, and you see these trees, they're like, you know, like this one couple, they were just worried about this. It was like this live oak that was like the top 1% in 
for size in Tampa based on our data. And they were worried about it. I'm like, you know, Irma just happened like two months ago and this thing made it through fine. Like, <laughs> and it was, you know, it was also like in the corner of their lot where like no one was going to get hit, you know, like the, the long crew that's going to go on there once a week is not going to be out there during the hurricane, you know? So you brought up a good point. You know, there's a lot of homeowners that'll reach out, you know, they ask about like, oh, can, can you come look at my tree? Can you come look at my tree? I think it's dying. Oh, well, you know, connect them to a certified arborist, you know, Mm -hmm. um, go to the trees are good directory, et cetera, you know, and, but I know that sometimes I've had conversations with homeowners where they're concerned that the arborist just wants to come in just to cut down their trees so they can make money and go on their way. But I think, you know, I don't think that's an appropriate mindset that people should be in because the value that an arborist can provide to homeowners. And I think a lot of it has to do with what's that conversation that they're having with the homeowners or sorry, with the arborist is it saying those things like, you know, I have these trees in my property. What should I do to help preserve and protect them? And I think Mm -hmm. that's the better part of that conversation that should be had because then we're looking at exactly what you mentioned is how do we prolong them in the landscape? How do we make sure that they're happy and healthy? Just make sure they're inspected and checked out. Um, and are there certain things that you would recommend that homeowners would look for or the questions that they should ask to an arborist when they're trying to look for services for their their trees on their property? Yeah, I mean, if you are truly concerned and you want an unbiased opinion, um, one really easy way to ensure that is to hire a consulting arborist who doesn't actually do any kind of removal work, right? Mm-hmm. There are folks out there that just write reports. They, they love trees. They, um, they, they're really, they're really good at appraisals for the value of a tree sort of be damaged by a bad actor. Um, they do risk assessments, they do health assessments, and you can have that person assess your tree and give you mitigation options, walk you through them and be like, okay, like this tree, you could either prune it or you could do this. And then, you know, maybe <laughs> removal somewhere in there, you know, as like a pl- plan D. Um, and then you make that decision and, and then you reach out to an arborist that actually does production work and will will do the pruning, you know, so that, that there's like that kind of disconnect. The person who's paying off like the crane <laughs> payments, you know, for, for their operation is not the one writing the report, you know. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, that's that's one really easy way of doing that. Um, but if you go to a reputable company, like if you if you ask around, you know, friends and, and family. There are a lot of, you know, arborists out there that I know that, you know, that they would, you know, they're not going to go for removal right away because as tempting as it would be to like make the big chunk of money, um, they love trees and they, they're not going to do something that's like, you know, irreputable just because they're trying to make a buck, you know, Um, as a general rule of thumb, if the person shows up at your door offering to do tree work or whatever. Yeah. Uh, no. Oh, now we're hiring. So. Yeah. <laughs> that happens after hurricanes a lot. So I, that happens, that happens here quite a few times. Mm-hmm. So yeah. 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 I've never met an arborist who doesn't like trees. Like I've just in, in conversation, they're like, Oh yeah, I love trees. You know, and then that's all that you want to talk about is trees and how awesome they are. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So we've talked a lot about the benefits of, trees in the urban environment. We talked about some of the challenges with development. We've talked about some of the steps that 
homeowners can take to kind of ensure the health of their trees. Um, I'm going to put a short plug in here just to say, please don't hurricane cut your palms because they don't need it. They don't want it. Don't do it. No lion tailing. Yeah. <laughs> no lion tailing. Please don't do it. And uh, if somebody ever tells you that you need to open up your canopy so that your turf grass gets more sunlight, say no. <laughs> Place your turf grass. <laughs> no, there's some uh, nice ground covers that would love the shade, you know, that wouldn't require any mowing or anything with the, to damage roots. Uh, yeah, just we don't need to value turf as much as we do. It's great, <laughs> but, you know, you don't need it all everywhere. So We don't need it everywhere. Yeah, right. So I know that I have favorite trees, and I have favorite trees for different reasons. And I definitely like, I have more than one favorite tree, but I'm curious, Andrew, do you have a favorite tree or do you have multiple favorite trees? And would you share one or a couple of them with us? <laughs> I'm scared, honestly, because last time I gave this answer, the person was so disappointed that they just walked away. <laughs> no, agent. My favorite tree is the biggest, closest tree. Honestly, I love them all. I love every tree. Like, you know, I, I, I do. Um, and it, it's like, I, I'd never, and I have four ch children. I would never be like, Oh, I love you more. <laughs> you know, <obviously. laughs> so many desirable traits that I like, you know, so the, um, all the trees are like your children. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and this gets me in trouble. I, I, I don't even have any like malice against invasives. I, I know they're bad. I need to remove them, but like that, if it's like, I'm looking at it, I'm like, God, uh, I feel bad smite like cutting you out like I do like I mean, you, just, you didn't want to be here you just ended up here you know um but yeah I, I get why people remove invasives I just I, I love every tree yeah they're That's either beautiful trees just sometimes they're just in the wrong spot yeah the wrong continent you know yeah like, wrong continent yeah, yeah. <laughs> wrong yes. side of the country <laughs> wrong side of the world yeah so let's like can I hear your favorites because I yeah I'm curious now mm-hmm um, so I, I love any tree that, um, has either different, like multiple colors of bark or really like oh. smooth bark. I'm a very tactile person. So I like, I like, um, I love sycamores. I love many of the eucalyptus trees, the trees. that have that like Oh, like that silver, the, I forget which one it is, but there's one that has just like silver, smooth, completely smooth bark. Um, I am absolutely head over heels for rainbow eucalyptus trees. Uh, yes. Because like, <laughs> come on. <laughs> um, but no, also um, sycamore, uh, you know, it's a, it's kind of a um, yeah, typical tree, but I had a sycamore tree in my school playground when I was in elementary school. And I was the girl that would sit at the playground and read a book. Uh, <laughs> so I would always sit underneath the sycamore tree. And it was like my friend. Um, you know, I could always lay my back against this warm bark and read my book. Yeah, so we I have, really like sycamore. Trees. One of my favorite trees is a sycamore. It's in my park. We call it Big Tree. And um, like we have picnics under it we were doing we were practicing karate under it last week um so, it's right by like a little like you know um, drainage ditch so it's doing quite well 
And mm. on a cloudy, like gray day, like we had yesterday, my kids loved looking in like, it feels like London, dad. Cause we went, you know, <laughs> UK, London plane tree. Yeah. Yeah. And they're just like, this is amazing. I'm like, cause they, you know, being from Florida, they, they love cloudy days and gray days. So, cause you always like what you don't have. All right, Taylor. <laughs> Taylor, it's your turn. Oh no. What's my favorite tree? It depends on the day. Depends on the day. I don't really know. So, like, um, one that I always come back to, I think about, is I love the poplar. I love tulip poplar. Mm-hmm. You know, the, mm-hmm. the flower is such a unique flower because of its color. It gets that, like, little green hue to it, I think is so mm-hmm. neat. But it's one of those flowers that, of, like, a surprise because they sit so high up in the canopy that you rarely get to see it. So when you do find one and see one, it's, it's kind of a cool little treat. Um, and then one of my other favorite trees that we don't grow here in Florida um, is the Cornus Cusa or the Cusa dogwood. It's like, I love that because once it gets done flowering, the fruit gets covered in all like the red little fruit just hanging all over it. I think it's like memories when I used to work at the botanical garden and Arboretum's like having those around the garden. I just love that. That's one of my other favorite trees but again it depends on the mood ultimately I, yeah, yeah I, I love the uh tulip poplar too like at the cat face kind of leaf and they get like yeah. huge the shade leaves get so huge on that you know yeah like and i'm massive yeah looks like felix and, the like, cat yeah and there's like <laughs> you know research where they show like how those leaves curl up in a windstorm and get like super aerodynamic it's it, ah, it's really cool and then the Kusa dog, one of my, my best friends from grad school, his dog was named Kusa, so. Oh, really? Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. All right. Well, I think that gets us to the end of our episode. Yeah. What do you guys think? Feel good? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Andrew, I want to, you know, thank you so much, you know, for taking the time out of your day to come hang out with us and speak to us all about urban forestry and trees and you know just like any of the conversations that Alyssa and I have with anybody that would come on that comes onto this podcast the time that we give ourselves is not nearly time enough we're just doing it more so for the people that are decide to listen to us (laughs) kindness to the listener yes thank you for joining us today on cultivating curiosity join us each month as we explore the fascinating world of plants For more information on today's topic, check out our webpage and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. My name is Taylor. And I'm Alyssa. Stay curious with us.